University Baptist Church is a faith community striving to think critically, live creatively, and love continually in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We gather on Sunday mornings at 5775 Highland Road between Lee Drive and Kenilworth Parkway. Visit ubc-br.org or at UBCBR on Facebook for more information. When we were in the process of considering our call to University Baptist Church, uh, there was very few things on the cons list, and one of the things on the cons list was that the closest Bojangles is four hours away in Mobile, Alabama. Now, don't think to yourself, well, we have Popeyes and Canes. No, it's not. It's not the same thing. They are by themselves wonderful and extraordinary restaurants, but there's something about going to Bojangles and getting the delicious seasoning that they put on their fries, their scrumptious biscuits, their sweet tea, the, the dipping sauce, and a blueberry biscuit that's covered in the sweet glaze that you're willing to maybe mortgage your house for it. However, there's one particular thing at Bojangles that you can't find every location. It's not just a cheese biscuit, it's a cheddar bow biscuit. So imagine the most delicious biscuit and filled inside of it is the most wonderful overflowing goodness of cheddar cheese. Now, will your system be clogged for a couple days? Yeah, absolutely, but is it worth it? Yes, it is. The most delicious filled biscuit in the world. We've been talking about filling our lives with the goodness of Jesus as we've been looking at Paul's letter to the Colossians in which he calls them to fill their lives with forbearance and love and joy and unity. And each week we've been examining these qualities to consider what it looks like for us to not only fill our lives with the goodness of Christ, but to fill other people with the goodness of Christ. We've issued a bucket challenge. We've actually given you physical buckets to carry around with you each week and each day as a reminder of this call of Christ. And so Paul begins in Colossians chapter 3 verse 12 with this, therefore as God's chosen people, Holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. When I hear the word patience, uh, there's one particular story that comes to mind from the Old Testament. It comes from the story of Joseph. Now, most of us, when we think of Joseph, we think of the Technicolor dream coat. So the story behind the coat is that Joseph's father, Jacob, gave it to him because he loved him more than any of his sons. That's a pretty troubling way to start a story. It doesn't say that he kind of had a general fondness for one of his sons over the other. No, it said that he loved Joseph more than any of his sons. Just a small note, parents, don't do that, or at least don't voice that out loud. <laughs> you know, I, as the baby of the family, I grew up in the shadow of two older brothers. Mom and dad never said it, but it kind of felt like it was said. No, no, they really didn't say it. I'm just kidding. So you can imagine it was a pretty big deal to Joseph's brothers who despised him. In fact, they hated him. And to make matters worse, in Genesis chapter 37, it tells us that Joseph has two consecutive dreams in which he is the central figure and his brothers and his mother and father bow down to him. When you have that kind of dream, you kind of keep it to yourself, but Joseph decided that he would share that dream with his brothers, and the result of it is to say they hated him with a burning zeal. Joseph lacked emotional intelligence, if there ever was any. 
Sir Isaac Newton once said that tact is the art of making a point without making an enemy. Uh, For the last 30 plus years of my life, I have lacked in the area of tact. And one of the earliest stories that comes to mind of tactlessness uh, came when I was in second grade. Now, you can imagine that from time to time, I got in trouble in class. It happened one or two times a day. And, uh, but what happened was when I would get in trouble, my second grade teacher would pull me really close to her to speak to me, except the problem was that her breath smelled absolutely awful. I mean, her breath was rancid. It was the toxic combination of cabbage and decaying garbage and the void of life. It was absolutely awful. And I told my dad about this, and so he said, well, the nice thing to do is to back away the next time she does that. And so the next day when I got in trouble, I I backed away. And so she pulled me close to her. I backed away, and she pulled me close to her. I backed away again. She finally said to me, why do you keep backing away? And so frustrated, I blurted out to her, well, because your breath smells like dog poop. And my dad said that I could back away from you when you're talking to me, and oh, by the way, you need a breath mint. So this is the beginning of a life filled with tactlessness. Now, someone should have said to Joseph, Joseph, you're already loved by your father. Your father's already given you this wonderful gift. When you have two dreams that say your brothers are going to bow down to you, keep that kind of thing to yourself. But Joseph's decided that he's not going to. And so it says in Genesis chapter 37 that when he went out to his fields to look over his brothers, that they seized him and they were going to murder him. But Reuben, one of the brothers, had a little bit of a conscience, and so they decided they would throw him into a pit. And there a traveling caravan came by and they sold their brother into slavery. Now he's torn away from his father, he's torn away from everything he's known, he's whisked away, miles away to Egypt, there he finds a new master named Potiphar. And it says that that Joseph was so successful that Potiphar noticed him and made him head of all the servants, except he wasn't the only one in the household that garnered Joseph's attention, because we learn that Potiphar's wife had her eyes for this young man. And when Joseph doesn't give in to her whims, she lies to her husband and claims that Joseph tried to assault her. And so he's caught between his wife and his slave, and he chooses his wife. And so Joseph is thrown into prison. This guy can't catch a break. He's, he's threatened by the point of death from his brothers. He's, he's thrown into slavery. He has to work out in a terrible situation. He's finally worked himself up to a positive place only to be lied about and thrown into prison. I can't even begin to imagine what slavery and prison was like in the ancient world. In some sense, Joseph is jumping from one pit to another. And how did he get here? How did he end up like this? Was this really the dream that God had given him? Was this really God's plan? And we could breeze over this story because we've heard it so many times. But if we can just pause and consider for just a second how often we might feel like we are in a state of emotional and physical and spiritual and psychological trauma, just like Joseph. How often have we felt like we are going from one deep pit into another deep pit? How have we ever felt like we've been in an endless cycle of disappointment, of discomfort, of stress, of depression, of anxiety? And I can almost guarantee that none of us have ever been in slavery before, but 
we've probably felt like there are shackles often in our lives. So what do you do with it? How do you deal with these emotions? But the story of Joseph does take a unique turn because Joseph is given a chance to have another dream. This time it's not his dream, but he interprets Pharaoh's dream, and he interprets it so well that the Pharaoh catches his eye and promotes Joseph all the way to being second in command of this empire. But then we quickly learn that Joseph's brothers come to Egypt because there's a famine in his hometown. So after many years of imprisonment, after one heartache after another, Joseph is presented with his brothers who do not recognize him at all. And he's faced with the choice of how to handle this moment, of how to handle this situation. Here he is faced with all of the power of Egypt behind him. And it says this in Genesis 45, 3 through 14. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? Brothers' brothers were unable to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be disturbed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there has been a famine in the land and for the next five years there will be no plowing or reaping. God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives with great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father of Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler of all of Egypt. Skip down to verse 14. Then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept. And Benjamin embraced him, weeping. And he kissed all of his brothers and wept over them. Afterwards, his brothers talked with him. At the climax of this story, Joseph is sitting in a position of power and authority, and he makes amazing decision. He doesn't choose revenge, the natural and deserved route. He doesn't even play the victim card, woe is me. Instead, he uses his power to choose humility. Instead of torture and death, Joseph chose to give new life and freedom to his brothers. Instead of anger and grudges and irritation, Joseph chose grace and reconciliation. You see, what we learned from Joseph is that God is inviting us through faith to see life through a different perspective. What's fascinating about the story of Joseph is that God doesn't just appear to him as he did to his forebears. Often we read in the book of Genesis that God audibly speaks to people like Abraham and his siblings. This teaches us something profound about faith of Joseph in God. There was no audible dictation, but instead Joseph was deeply rooted in his faith in God. In fact, a reoccurring thing happens in Joseph's story. It tells us again and again that God was present with Joseph. In the moment of his enslavement, God was present with Joseph. In the moment that Potiphar's wife lies about him, God was present with him. In the moment where he's rotting in prison, God is present with them. You see, this is radical and it's countercultural and it's challenging. Just consider for just a second the perspective Joseph had through faith. God asked Joseph to take on a different perspective. 
to not live into these two dreams immediately in the moment, but to journey through an unexpected and challenging journey to be God's vessel in the world. The words of the Apostle Paul come to mind, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. To put it plainly, it's not about me. It's about something and someone greater than me. And Joseph exemplifies the notion that God does not promise to take away all the possibilities of pain and discomfort, but rather God promises to be with us in and through all circumstances. And God promises to make great things happen, but not great things will come so easily. Joseph's story is an invitation to embody patience in the face of ambivalence. I'm not going to lie, this message of preaching patience was not exactly one I wanted to deal with this weekend. You see, this weekend, it was full of plans. I was planning to take my wife out on a hot date on Friday night. I was supposed to uh, go to a top 10 matchup of a brilliant football game that was supposed to happen last night. It happened without me. And to make matters worse, I was supposed to be taking a few days off at the end of this week to go with my family camping and hiking of some trails that we have so desperately wanted to go and encounter. And then I decided to take my girls to the trampoline park on Friday afternoon, jump up in the air and land on a dodgeball, severely spraining my ankle and tearing ligaments on both sides of my foot. Date canceled, football game went on without me, Orthopedist will decide tomorrow whether or not I can go on this short vacation. And I'm supposed to preach on patience this weekend. Now, my primary caretaker at the house is thinking, oh, I'll preach a sermon on patience if you want one. You see, our culture seems to highlight the quick and the easy and the painless route. Do you want to lose weight? Then pop a few pills or exercise 10 minutes a day or just eat this. Get your news and facts on short sound bites. In fact, you can actually turn off your mind and just let other people tell you what you need to think. Need it done now? Download an app, subscribe to this channel, just follow this page. Need your product now? Well, retailers will jump on the one-day or same-day shipping to get it to you. Phone or tablet or computer too slow? Just, just get a new one. Don't want to wait in line? We'll book your table in advance, or you can get a special pass to skip the line at the airport or at Disney World. You see, instant gratification is the motto of today. And when we don't get it now, good Lord, we get so frustrated, we get so disappointed, we get so hot and ready for someone to lose their job over it. Patience is the great contradiction of our culture of now. So, it does not seem reasonable for Joseph to have to go through 20 years of suffering to bring him to the place where God had promised this dream to him. As great Jeffrey Chaucer put it, patience is a conquering virtue. Now, eating gross things is not something that's off my uh, checklist. I have gladly eaten some of the most questionable meals in third world countries, and sometimes some of the gross things I eat um, make my wife gag. So, for example, my love of raw oysters, she calls expensive snot. Um, but this expensive snot, she wasn't complaining about when I presented her with a necklace of South China Sea pearls on our wedding day for her to wear. It was her gift, and 
I bought these priceless gems when I was on a mission immersion in 2004 in Malaysia. My dream was that one day I would give this to whoever my wife was to wear on her wedding day. And I've always found it hilarious that this expensive gem comes out of a creature that many of us would dare not eat. You see, a pearl begins inside an oyster's shell. It's an intruder, such as a grain of sand. And the sand slips in between the two shell oysters and the protective layer. The organism begins to work its way around it. In order to protect itself from this irritation, the oyster will quickly begin to cover up this uninvited uh, layer with what they call a nacre. And it's a mineral substance that fashions the oyster shell. And layer upon layer, it's built upon this until we get this thing that we call a pearl that, that we then stick a hole through and put it in a necklace around our neck or put it on earrings. You see, it's a, a fascinating refining process. And that's what God is inviting us into when it comes to patience. We've spent our entire lives waiting. In fact, a study found that we spend six months of our lives waiting at a traffic light and another five years waiting in lines. So why would God ask us to be a people of patience? If we're willing to follow Jesus in faith, then God will refine our soul for patience. Joseph didn't wake up the day after his brothers threw him into the pit and thought to himself, well, you know what, I'll just forgive these guys for this horrible act of betrayal and human trafficking, and I can see right now exactly what God is doing in this moment. He probably wasn't happy about this whole process of of being thrown into prison time and time again, and yet his faith journey with God was refining him for a mature perspective of life. Each time the narrator tells us that the Lord was present with Joseph, in that moment, God was teaching Joseph something profound about faith and about patience. God gave Joseph a dream, and it took him nearly 20 years for it to be fulfilled. You see, God desires to refine our faith and our soul. Patience like so many other characteristics of Jesus, seems like such a, a contradictory way of life. And pursuing Jesus in these ways sometimes doesn't seem like an opportunistic moment. The process of refining our soul for patience is the daily opportunity of waiting without frustration, listening without rushing someone to end, understanding someone when they mess up, wisdom to see the long game in all circumstances. And embodying patience of Jesus is the willingness to choose goodness in the face of frustration, kindness in the face of animosity, wisdom in the face of foolishness, love in the face of hatred, hope in the face of fear, and understanding in the face of now, now, now. Patience in the small moments of life Give us perspective and understanding so that when large crisis and frustration and setbacks and disappointment of our lives individually and collectively as a faith community, we can begin to put it into perspective. As one author put it, the two hardest tests on the spiritual road are the patience to wait for the right moment and the courage not to be disappointed with what we encounter. Every day, you and I carry around a bucket. It is the bucket of our lives. 
We have the choice to either fill up or empty our bucket, to either fill up or empty the buckets of others. And Jesus is inviting us to rethink what is in our bucket. Instead of a bucket full of annoyance and frustration and eagerness, Jesus invites us to fill our lives with patience, given to us out of God's bountiful love and presence with us. So as you carry your buckets this week, Consider what it might look like to fill your life with patience. Look at the life and the death and ministry and resurrection of Jesus, which emboldens us to know God's love for us. And as you carry your bucket this week, consider what it looks like for you to fill your neighbors and your coworkers and strangers and people very different from you with patience that comes from God.